The Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Wednesday, March 8th edition. We are flying through the months here in 2017, aren't we? Hey, thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast. The show broadcasts weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. My schedule's been a little thrown off lately. As most of you know, I had my website completely moved to a different host company. And I'll tell you what, what a nightmare that was. It's taken us three weeks to try, and we're still not done yet. But good news, the Android app is up and running perfectly. The iPhone app, listen, this is important. The Weekend Vigilante app for iOS devices, that's iPhone, iPad. Delete the app and reload it from the App Store. We're working a few tiny bugs out. It's the fast forward rewind button. So there's just a few tiny bugs to fix yet. But I'll tell you, that app, I'll stack it against any app. It is a really wonderfully convenient way for you, the listener. That's for you. That was designed with you in mind. So it's just a click. So all you do is you go to the App Store. Type in Weekend Vigilante. If you misspell it anyway, it unfortunately won't bring it up. Hey, we are doing a fundraiser through Fundly.com. This is for video equipment purchase. I am really hoping you get behind this because I want to get some video equipment and do video. Start doing video this year. That's been a goal of mine for quite a while. There is a banner on the website that will go on tomorrow. And I want to reach my goal of $7,500. You know, video equipment can cost tens of thousands, but I've got a very base set that I can buy. And it's very reasonable. It's $7,500 as opposed to twenty, thirty, dollars getting into $40,000 equipment. You know, technology is changing swiftly and the sprint to keep up is, it's exhausting. So help us raise these funds to help me go live Purchase the video equipment and upgrades and software that we need. Please show your support and do donate to that. It's called Fundly. It's not a GoFundMe. It's a Fundly. And so I've got that link today on the bio, March 8th. There's also a banner at WeekendVigilante.com that will come up. And I'm doing that for the next 50. That's five zero days. Let's reach our goal of $7,500. I know I can count on you for your financial support, and I appreciate it. And as you know, I am committed to bringing you only the best top guests that edify and equip you, and I'm committed to that. If you know anything about this show, you know that I am committed to helping you. You know that I care for God's people, and I believe the remnant is getting smaller and smaller And I do believe there is so many components missing in what I have labeled the cotton candy church. And, you know, this is a sad, heartbreaking thing to me. I saw these absolute inundation of reviews on the movie The Shack. As you know, I've done a show called The Shack Exposed. If you type that in a search, The Shack Exposed, Sheila Zielinski. It's also on YouTube, which reminds me, do subscribe to my YouTube because we're going to be changing it up doing some shorter little video excerpts, news updates, things like that, just really mixing it up and giving more variety. And I think that's going to be a real added feature. So please do subscribe to my YouTube and 
generously donate to this fundraiser. And I really thank you in advance for that. I know we can do this together. So thanks again for that. Now, finally, tonight, I just want to make an announcement before I get into the show. Tonight, we have a prayer line open for anyone that needs prayer. That is 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific Coast time. Just go to powerprayers.ca, go to the menu, and it says join us in prayer. Tonight, specifically, I am taking prayer requests on that. Anyone that needs prayer, me and my intercessors are going to pray for you. So if you need prayer, jump on that call tonight. Just go to powerprayers.ca, and on the menu bar, you'll see join us in prayer. So I hope to see you there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern time this evening. Well, speaking of prayer and prayer warriors and spiritual giants, the general himself joins me. He is back to talk about a very timely show, and it is entitled Devices the Enemy Uses to Attack Believers. And boy, oh boy, if there is one email I'm getting, it's about believers being attacked, vitriolically attacked. And so, very timely program, Ivory Hopkins, the general. Welcome back to the show. It is such an honor to have you back on. God bless you, Sheila. It's so good to be, always to be on your broadcast. I'm always just to talk to you. It's always a blessing. You know, today we're talking about the devices that the enemy uses to attack believers. I, I firmly see and know that there are a number of schemes and attacks that Satan uses against the church. Because we are the only organism, the only power on the face of the planet that is able to defeat him. But in order for him to weaken and break us so we will not take him out, he has to somehow get us caught up in different traps so that he will be able to hinder us from fully coming at him with everything God put within us. But you know, Jesus said it like this in the book of Matthews, upon the rock, which was Jesus Christ himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I believe that out of all the onslaughts and all the attacks of the enemy, that God is going to and is doing it and has been doing it, still defeating the enemy, because the enemy will not prevail against the church. It will not prevail against the rock, which is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Brother Ivory, I'm going to throw you the mic, and you just hand it back to me when you're ready. Lay this powerful teaching out for us today, sir. Awesome. Well, listen, everybody, let me start here. The Apostle Paul was seeing these, the very thing that I'm talking about. The Apostle Paul saw it in the Corinthian church. Matter of fact, Sheila, I'll share this with you. When the Apostle Paul taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the gifts of the Spirit, what he was actually talking about was how to distinguish between the pagan mixtures and the real working of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that the enemy likes to infiltrate the church is he likes to mix his occult bondage and make it look as if it is Christ himself. Well, that being said, the Apostle Paul teaches on the gifts of the Spirit, and he says, I would not have you ignorant, amen, concerning the spiritual gifts, that no man called of Jesus a curse, amen, speaketh by the Spirit of God. But once the Corinthian church caught that revelation, they also had mingling in within them, the enemy trying to mix the morals of the church. So number one, Satan likes to attack the church by intermingling the occult. This is where you get the another gospel, another Jesus, and another spirit, all counterfeits of the spirit of God. This is where you get kundalini, manifestations of things that they call the Holy Spirit, 
and it's not. These type of things, most of the time, to those that have discernment, it's obvious. It's obvious when you are in a church service and people saying it's the Holy Spirit and they're barking like a dog. It's obvious when you're in the middle of a ministry and they're saying the anointing of God is on them and they're writhing like snakes. Sheila, I was in Florida a few years ago, and, there, and it was in the same area where a movement went through, and it was actually Kundalini, the spirit of Kundalini, false gifts operating through that python spirit. Well, as I was preaching and telling the people of God that the enemy likes to counterfeit the anointing of God, all of a sudden a lady in the far back screamed and fell to the floor. The demon inside of her started writhing. And as we began to command her to come out, she started barking like a dog and writhing like a snake. We woke back there in the name of Jesus and boldly, with strong authority, commanded that thing to let her go, commanded it to come out, and the power of God set her free. When the demon was cast out of her, Sheila, and she came to herself, I said to her, I said, Sister, I want to ask you one question. How in the world did that get inside of you? When did you first feel those manifestations, and how did you receive them? Sheila, the young lady, looked at me, Sister Sheila, and she said to me, Brother Ivory, she said, I was in a charismatic service, and everyone's body was shaking and writhing, and some were going into holy laughter. Some were going into sounding like animals, barking like dogs, and they told us that that was the manifestation of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I told her, she said, so I asked the Spirit of God. I opened myself up and said, I want to receive a double anointing of what I'm seeing in the service. Oh. The enemy had managed to infiltrate this woman's soulish realm. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20, 27, that the spirit of the man is the candle of the Lord, searching the inward parts of the belly. What Satan did, the trick that he played on this young lady was, he got her searching for God, not out of the spirit of the word of God, the word of God, not out of the, uh, the spirit of the Holy Spirit, which lodges only in our spirit man. When we become born again, the Holy Spirit resides in our spirit man. We're born again and renewed by the washing of the water of the word of God. Amen. That was solid scripture. But what she longed for was a manifestation of things on her body that will cause her body to writhe uncontrollably as if the invisible force was operating there. And what ended up happening, she opened herself up to spirits of Kundalini, serpent spirits, writhing down her body through each chakra. And when we cast the demon out, and she gave up, renounced, turned totally against the false anointing, then the Holy Spirit was able to fill her correctly with the Holy Spirit, she was not out of control, and the Word of God became prominent and strong in her life. Now, I shared this testimony for one specific reason. The Apostle Paul with the Corinthian church saw what we saw in our modern day. He saw the normal acceptance, the norm of allowing different spirits to say their God, to get in the middle of a Christian service and manifest. And when Paul exposed them in Corinthians, he actually dismantled the tactics the enemy used in order to infiltrate the church. By the time you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, 
Paul says, I fear by any means, as the serpent beguiles Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity or the singleness which is in Christ. If he that come upon to you preaches another gospel, another Jesus, or another spirit, you may well bear with me. Now, Paul was telling the Corinthian church that they could receive another gospel, another spirit, and another Jesus. And those are all false manifestations of God the Father, of the Holy Spirit, and the work that the Son have done. Now, I share this up front is because the most largest infiltration that Satan does to attack believers is to intermingle with them and give them false manifestations of God. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Thy word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart. The word of the Lord have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's his word that purifies us, his word that sanctifies us, his word, the truth of the world, the truth that he speaks about is the gospel, rightly divided. Amen, the word of truth rightly divided. But if the enemy can get a lie going, a falsehood going, a deception going through teaching, he can infiltrate with spirits that will become teaching demons, which where we get spirits of error, where we get false prophets, where we get false apostles, false leaders and teachers. And then also we get manifestations that are counterfeiting the Holy Ghost. Now that's one of the bigger, major ones that I come at traveling across the nations, seeing people come under the attack of the enemy with the device of trying to feel God instead of knowing him in his word. There are some people who won't crack a Bible, but they don't mind getting in a prayer line, having someone slap hands on them, and what the release in them, goosebumps, getting standing up. None of that has anything to do with the real word of God. The Word of God is written in his book. Yes, God can be felt. Oh, thank God his grace can be felt. Thank God shield of the anointing can be felt. Thank God his grace and his love can be felt. But it must be received by faith by the Word of God above everything else rightly divided. So the main tactic of the enemy is to try to counterfeit God outside of the Word. Isaiah, I believe it's Isaiah 8 and 20 says, if it's not according to this book, it is because there's no light in it. Amen. So, that being said, we've got that. Number one, counterfeiting God through supernatural manifestations. Counterfeiting the name of Jesus. Counterfeiting the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Counterfeiting the actions of the Father. Those are one set of tactics the enemy use. The next other level of tactics that he uses is, he deals with what we call moral warfare. That's right, I said it. Moral, your morals. In other words, he tries to get a believer to operate in a manner that is not God and validate it by not being challenged by those who know the truth. Sheila, today the reason why so many preachers are not standing up and preaching the word and calling sin, sin, and righteousness, righteousness, is because they're being used by demons to validate the demonic actions that they're making in people's lives. Yes, I said it, and I'm not backing up from it. There are people who are, living, are sitting in churches, and their sin is not being preached about, nor is it being challenged. Sometimes these big-name preachers, I'm going to go there, sometimes the price that big-name preachers have to pay 
the price they pay is not telling the truth lest they lose their platform. We preachers need to say, say the word just for what it says. We preachers need to preach instant and season the night. For Paul declared the day would come when men and women would not endure sound doctrine, but would heap up unto themselves teachers with itching ears. I love broadcasts like yours, Sheila. I love broadcasts that look at sin, that look at life, that identify stuff, whether it's in the government, whether it's in the church, regardless where it is, and call it what God calls it. And that's another device of the enemy, the device of getting leaders and churches to take down. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, Paul addresses an issue in the Corinthian church that the Corinthian church should have addressed. But it was a tactic of the enemy. First Corinthians 2.11 was the launching scripture I wanted to launch with on this. And it reads like this. So listen to this, sweetheart. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says this. Lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. This word ignorant here is noamah. Noamah, which means a plan, a scheme, or a trick for a particular end. It's a plan, and it's a scheme, and it's a trick with a particular aim. This word here, devices, means Satan's minds and thoughts. So the enemy tries to deceive believers with his devices. He has a plan. In this church, the reason why Paul quoted this verse here, 2 Corinthians 2.11, in the Corinthian church, there was a thing that the church could have easily judged. It didn't even take all nine gifts of the Spirit to figure this out. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, and I'm hoping y'all are following me if you can. Here goes what it says. I'll tell you, I'll highlight it. There is a young man in church, and his stepmother and his father are together. And the young man in the Corinthian church decides to get in an affair with his stepmother. Now, you think that stuff is tough out here today? Here is the, the Corinthian church, church newly building, newly being used by God, a gifted with all nine gifts of the Spirit. Now, that's amazing. They had all nine gifts of the Spirit operating in there, and nobody had enough common sense to figure out you can't have your father's wife. But here's what it says. Paul says here, chapter 1 through 5, Paul says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication as not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Now check this out. This young man has his father's wife, and the church said nothing. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned. Paul said, y'all got puffed up. You got prideful. You should have been crying over this. That he that have done this thing, this deed, might be taken away from among you. But it never bothered the church. Now listen to me sitting out there in the audience. This is the condition of many churches. The leadership, the elders and the believers are allowing things to go on that is so perverted, so twisted. And instead of mourning, instead of calling out against it, They'll say, we will be tolerant because we don't want to make somebody mad. I'm going to say this, Sister Sheila. Woman of God, 
There is a whole lot of things today that the modern church is allowing to happen that God is going to judge us for doing it. There's a lot of moral issues. Listen, the church was never created to be tolerant. The church was made to preach the word. Matter of fact, the love from the church is the truth that it tells. If you ever want to find out how much love is in the church, find out if they love you enough to stop you from going to hell. Bottom line. It says, ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that have done this deed might be taken away from you. Now, it sounds bad. That's what Paul says. For I verily, verse 3, for I verily as absent in the body, but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that have done this deed. Now, to listen at this, it sounds like Pastor Paul is really a hard-hearted man. Now, he done found out that this boy is seeing his father's wife. The church is saying, well, I don't want to get in nobody's business. I don't want to get nobody upset. I don't want to judge. Come on. Usually, Sheila, when you hear that word, somebody talking about they don't want to judge things, it's usually something that only take, don't even take no judgment to deal with. <laughs> yeah. I, <see> <laughs> I mean, don't you see that? I mean, the cry today is, don't judge. And every time I hear that, don't judge, it's usually... Proceeded by something so trifling, something so wicked, something so obvious that it needs to be judged. It is the place of the church to look at things, and this word judge here means to examine and distinguish its value, origin, and purpose, to judge it, to determine whether it is something that God allows us, whether it's our personal life or the lives of others. The church has to judge. The Bible said one day we shall even judge angels. Matter of fact, we are judging fallen angels now. Sister Sheila, it is a judgment on fallen angels when you can look at them and command them and their perverseness and their wickedness to come out of somebody. That's a judgment. Amen. If the church gives up its judgments, the demons will floodgate the church. And in many places they have. Can I share something with you, sis? I just left North Carolina, and it blew my mind what a young man told me who used to go to a church right in the area where I was just at this weekend. He said to me, Brother Ivory Apostle, I used to go to that big mega church right over there. And he said, the pastor, that's right, the point pastor, the head leader, was running so many women that even when he would get some of them pregnant, they did and said Nothing to him. He said, Brother Ivory, that church has gotten so bad now that some of the board members, some of their elders, are going through the women in the church. Sounds like Eli's sons to me. But the reason why that spirit, that demon, the reason why it was able to operate in that church in North Carolina like that is because the leader was never challenged. He was never sat down. He was never rebuked. So he built a kingdom that was on the platform of lust and perversion. The thing that would have happened in the Corinthian church. If the apostle Paul, the tactic of the enemy was a twofold tactic. Threefold. Number one, to destroy that young man. Number two, to destroy that father and his wife. Number three, to destroy that church's moral compass. That church's moral compass was being corrupted by the undealt with sin in that young man. 
every baby in there, every teenager in Corinthian church, every young adult in Corinthian church knew it was twisted for a son to go after his own daddy's wife, his stepmother. And the Corinthian church said nothing. Now, that's a tough thing. What a tactic. How many things are happening today in our society all over the world, in the church? Listen, I, the world is going to do what the world is going to do. Matter of fact, the thing that we got to go after the world for is not having Jesus. You can't isolate well they're doing this sin and that sin and the next sin because their great sin is blindness and non-acceptance of a risen Savior. But the church's sin is disobedience to the commandments of God because we know the Savior. Is anybody hearing that? Anyway, let me go on and preach. Amen. Sis, you don't need to come in right now? I'm going to let you bring it. You're bringing the heat. <laughs> I'm on that. Thank you. So anyway, the next tactic was of the enemy with this Corinthian church was to destroy this young man, to destroy his father and his stepmother. I'm talking about what the demon's main goal was. It had nothing to do with sexuality. It had nothing to do with feeling good for a few moments. What it had to do with was Satan's ultimate plan was to destroy the father, destroy the son, destroy his wife, and infiltrate the church. Undealt with, unchallenged, unrebuked. And listen to what Paul says here. Paul said, I would have already judged it. I have some embodied but present in spirit. I've judged it already as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you come together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, judgment, he means, verse 5, Sheila, is a powerful word here. Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 5 and 5 says, when y'all come together, deliver such a one unto Satan. What? Do what? Deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the fleshly lust, for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. Now, here goes the strategy. The young man was not coming for deliverance. At that particular time, the young man was not repentant. Are y'all getting this? Are y'all getting this? So the Apostle Paul told the church, for such a one as this, he wants to go this direction for Satan. He wants to live this unbiblical, unscriptural, and ungodly manner. Turn him over to Satan. In other words, the boy... Strongholds, the very sin, the very bondage he wants to live, separate him from the church, let him go his direction. Turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. And let me tell y'all what happened behind the scenes. What happened behind the scenes was this. When the church stood up and said, this is sin, we disavow what you are doing. We rebuke what you are doing. You either change or you're going to have to go because we're not allowing this in the house of the Lord. We're not going to validate your actions. We're not going to get on your dad's side or on your side. We're going to stay right straight with what the Word of God says. If you're going to live like this, you're going to have to go in another direction because we are not validating it as a church. They actually said, in a way, said, if this is what you want to do for Satan, have at it. And guess what happened to the young man, Sheila? When he was turned over to Satan, the very thing that Satan was using that was such a joy, it was such a wonderful thing to be with his stepmother, the joy left it. Because down in that young man, listen to me real good, people of God. Listen to me real good. Down on the inside of someone, if they've ever been really born again, if they've ever had the spirit of God's love upon them, 
when the, the, that will rise up eventually. The grace that's in your life is going to eventually rise up. It is impossible to remain comfortable in sin if you've ever had Jesus inside of you. And what happened was the young man became conscious of his moral lifestyle when those who represent morals stood their ground and said, young man, I love you. We love you. But we will not validate nor will we put up with what you're doing in our fellowship. And guess what happened? The very demon of lust, the very bondage of have your daddy's wife, that very bondage was overrode, was overshadowed by the love of God and the judgment of the church. Now, that wouldn't go well today. Because today, Sister Sheila, what the problem would be today, oh, yes, in the modern church today, we would have said, well, you don't love him. You don't love him because, you, you know, he, it's just his father's wife. And if his father really had it together, she'd have never left him. Oh, we'd have come up with a thousand reasons why this boy could live this immoral way with his stepmother. Yeah. Are so you hear me, woman of God? Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, this is, this is a tactic of the enemy. I'm saying the Holy Ghost right now is saying the whole lot on your broadcast. It is saying the predominant spirit that has rocked America to sleep, that has put the church to slumber. This demon is so wicked, that's the reason why little boys and little girls can be messed with in some organization and nobody touch them. It's because they're validating sin by saying nothing about it. They're validating iniquity by not challenging it. No matter what the world lives, no matter where our society is going, it is the job of a preacher to still say, if God's word says it, then that settles it, even if I'm not the one doing it. The word of God is right all by itself. But instead, oh, y'all excuse me if I got excited. But instead, today's modern church, the tactic the enemy is using on them is tolerance. Amen. You're a hater. Paul, the apostle Paul today would be called a hater. The apostle Paul today would have been called a judger because he dared to judge a young man in the church for sleeping with his stepmother. Today, in many places, Sheila, Sister Sheila, and many churches in the world today, that would not have been that big of a problem. In that ministry, it had about 2,600 people. And after that pastor did what he did, 1,600 walked. 1,600 people left. Wow. And they're down to 1,000. And he still ain't stopping what he's doing. And I maintain to tell you that if he had been living during the times of Eli, do you remember Eli, sons? Uh, his two boys would meet the daughters of Zion at the gate and would sleep with them and would charge an extravagance amount of money, flesh, flesh, in order to make an offering. And God told Eli, your sons will die because of what they're doing, and your heritage, your ministry heritage, would be cut off, and they would beg at the very gates that they used to seduce the women to get what they wanted. The Apostle Paul said this about this young man. Let me get to the better side of him, because I know I'm walking this message tonight, this, this morning. Let me get to the better side, Sheila. When he turned him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, the young man, spirit man, which I believe had God in him. Yes, I do. I believe he listened to the conviction. I believe when the church started, stopped hunching its shoulders. I hope this is coming across right. When the church looked at what he was doing and called it what it was, 
And he realized that all the rest of the people and those that had any morality whatsoever, those that were saved whatsoever, those that were really living holy were saying, this is sin. He realized that there is a wrong and right. And he repented. Now what's unique? Now I'll tell you what. Now, now think about this with me, Sister Sheila. Think about this with me, buddy. This young man now repents in the Corinthian church. And Paul says they are to receive him back. You get this? The fallen young man that acknowledges that he had sinned. In 1 Corinthians 5, he just turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. Sister Sheila, and by the time we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the young man is coming back. He has repented. He has acknowledged his sin. Why? Because Paul had them to turn him over to Satan. Saying, you want to live like the enemy? Then go join him. But as soon as you're ready to come on back to church and cut your posters, we are the spiritual is going to restore you. See, that scripture that says in Galatians 6, 1, can we talk? If any man be overtaken in the fault, then be found guilty on a surety in a fault. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What this verse was not saying is if a man be overtaken in a fault, you should say nothing and leave him alone because you, you got thoughts of your own. That's not what that is saying, Sheila. What that is saying is if a man is overtaken in a fault, we are to restore them. But they have to come back in a restorative way. They have to own what they've done. They have to be repentant of their actions. Because anything less than that, Sheila, Sister Sheila, will validate their sin. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Come on now. Lord have mercy. In Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul had to tell the Corinthian church, look, 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 guys. This boy, young man has repented. He has come back. He said, now look, if we don't forgive him and receive him when he's repented and left his stepmother alone and cut out the sin that he was doing, if he is repented, and he was, the Apostle Paul said, we embrace him again. The one that we turned over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord, when he repents, when he turns completely around and wants to embrace his church, we are to reach our hands out and receive the repentant fallen saint. We ought to do what the prodigal son's father did for him. He turned and said he came to himself. Well, listen, the prodigal son was turned over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. When the prodigal son, I got out there wallowing in the pig pen, eating the husk of the earth. When he got out there knowing that when he was with God the Father, when he was in right fellowship, he lived a better life. The enemy scheme was exposed. I believe this, you know, that when that young man saw the, spiritually what God was saying, saw spiritually what the church stood for, it broke his heart. And no matter what they were doing, no matter what little bit of fun they had for whatever moment, that fun did not equal a whole kingdom life. The day, even you that listen to me, the day that whatever you're doing becomes lesser than what you're trying to get with God, you will find you will break away from the enemy's bondage. You will find you will snap his cords quicker than anything. 
Flynn Worley used to say it like this. God delivers you from your enemies, not your friends. Come on, somebody. God delivers you from the thing that you have to go to hate along the line because the church stood up. Because the church stood its ground. The young man saw what he was doing, having his father's wife was sin. It was wicked. It was ungodly. And when he repented, he broke. And he wanted like the prodigal son to come back home. And here goes what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 through 10. This is what it says. So that contrary-wise, you ought rather, this is Paul talking. So contrary-wise, you ought rather to forgive him, comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Paul is saying here, this young man has repented. We don't want Satan to get advantage of us now. Because the advantage Satan wants is for a fallen soldier, for an erring saint who has repented. He wants us to be so upset with him that we don't pray for him. And that's, that's one thing we are going to do. We're going to pray for any fallen saint. Listen to me. I said what I said about that preacher in North Carolina. I said about I said about that preacher who had 2,600 members and 1,600 walked. But I'll tell you what. I'm praying that this man of God gets right, gives his life back to God, gets himself in order. I'm praying that his leadership and elders get themselves in order. Or else God will close that church, put out the candlestick, and it's not because God is evil. It's because he can't allow this man to keep sending people to hell. See, the God's not going to let his daughters as I keep getting hurt by preachers. Do you hear me, woman of God? Amen. God is not going to sit back and let whoremongling go on in the church and let, let preachers keep doing stuff that is ungodly. The word of the Lord declares that judgment must first begin in the house of God. And if it begin in the house of God, where should a sinner and the other find themselves? So this young man, getting back. My God, you got me preaching today. You got me preaching today. Good <laughs> Lord have mercy. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. So that contrary-wise, you ought rather to forgive him. Why? Because he repented. Forgive him. Now, can you imagine what that was like? This father watches his son with his wife, and what? And that had to do a job to the family. You know what I say sometimes? Feel about, put meat on those people's bones. They were human beings. They were human beings. Now, it didn't even say, it did not even indicate that the father left the church. It didn't even indicate that. I don't know what dynamics it was, whether the father and his wife united, whether the father went to another fellowship, it's solid to that. It is silent to that. But one thing I do know is that the son who did that act returned to his same church. He returned to the Corinthian church. And if, I'm only assuming by basic deduction, investigative thinking, okay? If the father and his wife got back together, boy, that family had some issues that Grace needed to touch. Serious issues that Grace needed to touch. You hear me? If that father and that wife united, and that young man came back to be with the fellowship, if that was the case, and the Apostle Paul had to tell the Corinthian church, forgive him, it's time to restore him. We turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. He's evidently turned. You know, Sheila, basically, I'll tell you another thing, just sitting here thinking, uh, sis, in the Old Testament, they wouldn't have been after the young man, would they? They would have been ready to stone the girl. They would have been ready to stone just the mother and all. Yeah. Are you seeing what I'm saying? 
But a strange thing happened. There was like a precedent was happening here. In other words, it wasn't God saying that uh, she was right and it was okay, but it was showing something here that the justice and the judgment that took place here was so deep that I believe it was obvious she had a frown on her. It was obvious everybody was looking at her. They probably no doubt dealt with her quicker than they did him. Evidently, evidently. But Paul challenged it. And now this young man has repented. This young man has turned. And Paul says, verse 8, Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love towards him. Woo! Listen at this. The next advantage the enemy would like to have is when somebody repents, we don't let them up. When they turn, we don't give them a chance. Sister Sheila, when they own it. Not when they say, well, that was only three years ago, but did you own anything? Did you own up to any of your actions, or is this something you still have residing in your heart that you feel just the first moment that you feel like going that direction again, it's right there because it was never dealt with, repented of. You never was broken on it. Wherefore, I beseech you, verse 7, that ye would confirm your love towards him. For this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, and whether you be obedient to all things. And, and see, an Apostle Paul because he was over the Corinthian church as a mentor, and we don't want to make it any more than what it was, as a mentor, as a statesman senior speaker over that church, a mentor, an elder over there, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church, I was checking you out. I came back to see the condition of what I saw the first time. And look what he says, For this end also I did write, that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. Listen to what he says. For to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgive it, for what sake forgive I it in the persons of Christ? Broken down shortly, blunt, plain, simple language. Paul says, and the persons of Christ, being a representative of Christ, I have given y'all the manner by which God's word, God's spirit, and God's judgment is. Concerning this matter, you turn the young man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh and the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. The young man repented and returned to the church. Where else was he going to go after he repented? He wants to come back. He says he's in y'all's presence now. Now confirm him with your love. Show him that, brother, we are thankful to God that you repented and saw your error. To someone out there, this is a tough message. But I tell you what. I thank God if you have repented. I thank God if you turned away from that which Satan convinced you to do. Because it was a strategy. It was in this young man's life, it wasn't about sex. It was about binding his soul. It was about entrapping his family. It was destroying the sanctity of the home. It was destroying the morals of his own life. And it was destroying the internal organism of the moral of the Corinthian church if they'd done nothing. If the Corinthian church had not dealt with that sin in that young man, that would have went through that church like wild turkey, honey. You know why? Glad you asked. It would have went through that church like that because the Corinthian came from a society that was used to orgies and immorality. Matter of fact, the, the mindset of those during that time in the first century church, they thought the church's meetings itself was orgies. They thought that the communion of the church, they thought that they drink my blood and eat my flesh, they thought that was of an occult nature. 
They didn't know that the drinking of the flesh and uh, the eating of the flesh and the drinking of the blood was symbolic of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, of his body that was shed, his blood that was shed for us. They didn't realize that. So that only validate what they thought the church was doing. It would validate the moral and moral. They thought the church was no different than Diana's temple or the temple of Isis. You understand, people? If you put your you put your yourself in the place of the church, the first Corinthian church, the early century church, they had to stand up. But surely today, the devices of the enemy today has gotten the church at a place where we have morally become bankrupt. Some of us. It's not everybody. God knows, thank you, Jesus. It's not everybody, but the church today has become morally bankrupt, and it's become morally bankrupt because it's afraid to call sin sin. It's afraid to call righteousness righteousness. Some are afraid they'll lose their place, they'll lose their position, and because of that, it has given place to the enemy. The Bible said, neither give place to the enemy. That word place means occupation, license, or an open door. Neither give place to the enemy. So these were some of the uh, tactics of the enemy. And just before I close, I'm going to just go down a slight list. I'll shield it and I'll back up. And I'm going to tell you how much I appreciate being on your show today. Amen. Dealing with the devices the enemy uses to attack the church. Now, I'm going to highlight and I'm going to hit a few. One. He destroys the church many times by cause of the mixture of the occult and religion. Counterfeit manifestations of Jesus, God the Father, or the Holy Spirit. He attacks the church. And because many times immoral acts will happen in the church, and no one says a mumbling word. Leadership does not stand up as it should. Today we are validating things that the world is doing instead of saying, God does not have a statute of limitation on holiness. Who told anybody that all of a sudden God said, you know, well, you had to live holy here, but seeing as 2017, you don't have to live as holy. The word of God is settled in heaven forever. And God said, behold, I change not. The world might change, but God said he's not changing. What he called sin then is sin now. Shiver today, I could not have my father's wife. It's sin. It's sin. There's no statute of limitation on it. It won't fly. It won't happen. But it happened in the Corinthian church, and it had to be stopped. Today's modern church, if it happens, we sit on judge. As we get ready to close out, the enemy also would have loved to have the Corinthian church that when they repent, when that young man repented, Paul had to tell the church, if we don't forgive him and give him a way back in, which Jesus did when he repented, when he acknowledged his sin, when he saw something morally wrong according to God's word. Not according to popular demand, because if you would take a poll out here, any country, whether it's Canada, America, anywhere in the world, if you take a poll and say, is this sin okay? The answer would probably be diametrically different than the Bible, because men would rather do their own thing than listen to what God said, not understanding that it is a tactic of the enemy to drive them to hell. There's mental warfare, where the enemy floods the mind constantly with thoughts and perversions and lust and vile and vile things. The enemy floods the mind with a whole lot of demonic suggestions and confusion. There's emotional warfare, where he does things to break you emotionally, where your spirit gets broken, your heart gets torn, your decisions get messed up, and depression becomes your way of life. It's a warfare of the enemy. 
The enemy likes to attack the believers with physical warfare, constantly fighting in infirmity, wondering if God even hears your prayer. He wants to cause us with infirmities to throw up our faith, our hope, hitting us with cancer, fatigue, and sicknesses of all kinds of physical attack. And then he likes to also operate in communication warfare, where couples can't even talk to each other, can't communicate. Couples and families and everything can't even get together to do anything because when they get together, all they do is fuss, fight, cussing, and everything. Why? Because of spirits that are in the midst. Communication warfare. Relationship warfare. The enemy keeps constant confusion among groups, among relationships, whether it's marital relationship, ministry relationship, or just job relationship. He keeps a constant warfare going on all the time. The Bible said, follow peace with all men, holiness without, in which no man shall see the Lord. And then the enemy likes to hit his sister Sheila with financial warfare, constantly under financial pressure, until you hardly know what to do with yourself. He keeps it going so that it will distract us, make you feel like God is not with you. We will quote, he shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. But we seem to be under so much financial warfare that you wonder where God is. But I want to tell you, the Bible said that God said, I have not leave thee, nor will I forsake thee. The Lord said that he has a supply, that he will supply our needs according to his riches and glory. God will neither forsake us. Amen. David said it like this. I am young, but now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God will make a provision, even with financial warfare. And then another area is temptation warfare, where you're being bombarded left and right from all kinds of directions with one temptation after another. It looks like every time you get up, it's one more hit. But I maintain to tell you, amen, don't you bow. The Bible said, resist the devil and he will flee. With every temptation, the word of the Lord said that he's given a way of escape. Bible also said, think it not strange of the fiery darts. Amen. And the wicked one will sing, because God will sustain us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Every tongue that rise up against us in judgment, we shall condemn. For this is the heritage of the servant of the Lord. And then we can get Sheila hit with indirect warfare. Those are attacks coming against our loved ones. Knowing that the enemy attacked your grandchild, attacked your son or daughter, because he hates you. Job was hit with direct and indirect warfare. The first attack the enemy done to Job was indirect warfare. He did not attack Job right straight. He attacked his children. He attacked all he had. Territorial warfare. Stress battles where you fight, whether it's job, whether it's community, whether it's country, whether it's a broadcast. You're fighting against territorial strongholds that does not want you to penetrate the atmosphere and do what God wants you to do. In this case, you're dealing with principalities and powers of the air. You're dealing with ley-line demons, demons that have certain jurisdictions in different regions. But Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10, when he was withheld by the prince of Persia, the Lord sent an angel, and the angel of God said, I brought your answer. The first day you called on my name, 21 days, Daniel was in fasting. And Michael the archangel said, then the first day that you set my face before God, I, your prayer was answered. And God said, I've sent him against the Prince of Persia. God, I thank you. Also, there's spiritual development warfare, where the enemy fights to keep you from growing. He fights to keep you in a position where you won't hear the word, where you won't learn the word. The Bible said, my people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. The word of God said they've gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. 
amen, is also broken. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talked about the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that we may know him in the fullness. The Bible said in James, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask God. And that will come against that spiritual stronghold that comes against spiritual development. For I want to grow and know you, Lord. Also, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, the Bible said he gave some apostles and pastors and teachers an advantage for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. God, I thank you. Well, Sheila, it's been a grand time. You allowed me to jump out here today and just preach it. Appreciate you, sis. Amen. I'm getting ready to back up before we finally close in prayer. Amen. Woman of God, I will back up and turn it into your hands. It has been a ball ministering on your program today. God bless you. Turn it in your hands, sis. Yes, Pastor, if you would please pray for the people now. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, with all of this being said, this message that I preached, God, this word of the Lord that the woman of God allowed space to be heard on her broadcast. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for the woman of God's obedience unto you, Father, that allow this gift utterance to speak and to talk to your people. Now, Lord God, there may be someone listening at me that you are in a moral dilemma. You may be in a relationship, situation, or circumstance that only God can bring. I pray that the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God, make the path clear for you to escape. I command the soul tie that you got with a bad relationship that got no business being in existence. I pray that the Holy Spirit will loose you from it without hurt, harm, or danger. I pray that the Spirit of God will rescue you from every evil soul tie, every demonic witch control every spiritual stronghold that locks you up in it. I pray for those that are battling moral issues. That's right, sexual moral issues related to sexuality. Lord God, I ask them in the name of Jesus by your love that you set them free. Lord God, the enemy has had his hand on their life too long. Somebody listening at me, God, may have backslidden, fallen away from the truth. God, you will forgive them. You said you're married to the backslider. Lord God, save them, deliver them, and set them free. Father, bring them to a place of truth. Take the blinders off of their eyes, Father. Let them call things what you call them, and they won't come back with condemnation, guilt, and shame, but they will come back through conviction, restoration, and healing and forgiveness. Lord God, I ask in the mighty name of Jesus that, Lord God, whatever church someone goes to, if that church is not preaching the word, if that church refuses to obey and be obedient, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Guide them to a place that will preach the truth and tell it like it is. Lord God, guide them to a place that will obey you and give them sound doctrine and sound teaching. But Father God, even above even all of that, bring them personally to a personal relationship with you. Lord God, there may be someone that wants to give their life to you, that wants to be restored by asking, Father, forgive me. I see my sin. I see my failure. I ask you, Lord Jesus, into my life. I welcome you to be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you are the Son of the living God. 
I ask you to become a part of my life. And Lord God, bring them to a place, a house of ministry of faith. Lord God, bring them to a place where they will be able to be baptized and, and connected with you. Lord God, there is the forgiveness of sins and, and there is the sacraments, the communion, and the baptism with water and all of those. Father, bring them into a place of fellowship so that these things may be done. But first it must start with the heart. First it must start with the heart and the mouth. But for all, with the heart, we believe unto salvation with the mouth confession is made. I ask this in Jesus' name. Lord God, those that are going through these warfare, one struggle after another, I want them to know that God has not left you. I rebuke the spirit of discouragement. I rebuke the spirits of strongholds that have been coming against your financial bondage, a territorial warfare, strongholds wrestling with a particular sin that it seems like you cannot shake. I ask the spirit of the living God to save your generation, your child, your seed may have walked away from God. You may be one that have walked away. God restore them in the name of Jesus Christ. I rebuke those demons right now in Jesus' name. Those spirits are backsliding. Those spirits right now of giving up, throwing up your hands. I rebuke them. I rebuke the spirits of perversion and bondage. I rebuke them and command them to go now in the name of Jesus. Spirits of witchcraft, sorcery, incantation, and spells. We break you by the power of God. I break you generationally. I command in the name of Jesus every Kundalini spirit, spirit that is connected and lodged and locked in with religious devils that are counterfeiting Jesus, the Holy Ghost, and the anointing of God. Break them, Father, in Jesus' name. And I give you glory. I give you praise. And Lord God, we pray against arrogance and pride to think that we're better or so far above needing your same prayer, God. For Lord God, there's none righteous, no, not one, but we come to the foot of the cross, the only Lord, wise God and Savior that's able to redeem us and cleanse us and keep us by his blood. And Lord God, we love your people, God. Lord God, we preach a strong word today, a strong word that we live as well as preach, a strong word that convicts us as well as convict others. Lord God, I give you thanks, and I praise you. Hell was never made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels. Father, I thank you and I praise you that we are the redeemed, the called out ones, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Whew, that was powerful. Ivory Hopkins, folks, the general. Bookmark his website, pilgrimsministry.com. That's pilgrim with an S, ministry.com. Hey, we are out of time, but don't forget, go to powerprayers.ca. Join us in prayer tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern. You need any prayer, you join me and my intercessors tonight. We will pray for whatever your need is. There's a call-in number and all the info is there. We will see you tonight. Good night and God bless you.